this morning, uh, I'm excited because we're going to begin a brand new series together entitled Christmas Prayers, and hopefully when you came in, did anybody get a snowflake when you came in? If you got your little snowflake, go ahead and wave it at me. Wave your snowflake really, really high. There we go. All right, very good. Now you can put it down. Now if you did not get a snowflake, raise your hand and we'll bring you one. How about that? If you did not get a snowflake, all right, here we go. Our ushers are on their way. If you'll hold your hand up really high, we'll get one to you. I'm going to keep talking while you hold your hand up, okay? Baby, you didn't get a snowflake? Oh, you didn't? I'll give you mine, but I'm going to talk about it first. Right here, Stephanie's coming. All right, keep your hand up if you need a snowflake. So, a year ago, last year at Christmas, uh, as we were wrapping up our Christmas season here at Liberty Church, the Lord spoke to me a year ago, and he said, this is what I want you to preach on next year. He said, I want you to preach on Christmas prayers, and he kind of gave me this little idea. And, um, and so today, what we're going to do is we're going to begin a series entitled Christmas Prayers, and we're going to use these little snowflakes uh, really as prayer cards, because... Christmas is an awesome time of year, and I don't know about you around your house, but especially when our kids were little, uh, I remember we used to have the little wish list, right, all the little Christmas lists uh, with all the stuff they wanted for Christmas, and that was always so much fun. And, uh, and then as they grew older, right, the list just got more and more expensive. And, and then we thought, well, when they get older and they get married and they move out, then maybe that list will go away. It just multiplied. Now we got sons and son-in-laws and all these things that are happening. And uh, so it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And, and it's so much much fun, but we're here today as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ because we recognize something. We recognize that it's going to take more than a wish list to change things. And a lot of people are wishing that things would get better. They're wishing that things would change. And I'm not sure about all you other ladies and all you men here in the house today, but for, for, for the Hodges family, right now I am officially committed with my wife to these uh, Hallmark Christmas movie marathon things, right? <laughs> Anybody else got sucked in? Any other guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody feeling my pain? I mean, you know, and they're great movies, and I like them, and they're all good. And, you know, and you got all the Christmas wishes and all the Christmas miracles and all the Christmas stuff, and it's just, it's cool. You know, I love it. I'm glad they're, they're happy movies. And Kelly always says, you know when the movie's over because they kiss at the end, and then the movie goes off, and, and it's always cool. But we recognize, so we recognize that, that we're not going to be able to wish our way into a better life. And we're not going to be able to wish our way into seeing things really change, at least lasting change that produces lasting fruit. And so this series is really about how do we move from a wish list to a life of prayer? Because prayer does change things. Now, if I were to ask you, and I'm going to let you raise your little snowflake up, so we're just going to use these all through the service today. This will be congregation participation, okay? Here we go. So if you believe that prayer really does change things, then just wave your little snowflake up. There you go. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you very much. And you know what? That's normal. Every, every Christian, just about any Christian you talk to, do you believe prayer changes things? And absolutely, people will say without a, hat, without a shadow of a doubt, prayer changes things. But you flip that coin over, and the reality is, is most Christians struggle with consistent prayer. Most Christians struggle with the kind of prayer that really does change things. 
And even though we believe prayer changes things, most of us find ourselves, and I said us, because most of us find ourselves in a place where really pressing into a place of prayer, the kind of prayer that really does change things, is sometimes challenging and sometimes hard, and sometimes it just really isn't happening on a consistent basis in our life. So this whole series is about how do we cultivate a life of prayer And how can we learn some principles of prayer that are going to help us pray the kind of prayers that change the circumstances and the situations of our life? Because if we believe that prayer changes things, then we ought to be praying the kind of prayer that changes things. And so this is what we want to learn how to do. We want to learn how to pray the change that we desire to see. So how do I pray the change that I desire to see in my life that ultimately lines me up with the heart and the will of God. Now, let me just tell you what I believe about prayer. A couple things. I do not believe prayer is getting God to do what we want. I don't believe that's the purpose of prayer. I believe prayer is about us agreeing with God and accessing through faith in Jesus Christ the things that God has purposed, the things that God has purchased through his blood, the blood of his son Jesus, and the things that God has promised to us through Jesus Christ. So I believe prayer is not about getting God to do what we want. I think it's about getting us to a place of agreement so that what God has purposed, what God has purchased, and what God has promised now becomes a reality in our life. And this is what I've recognized. What God has purposed, purchased, and promised is better than anything I could ever imagine. (laughs) I mean, God has already figured it all out. God has already figured out the best that this world has to offer, and he has a supernatural, astounding, amazing plan for our lives. And if we would just begin through prayer to tap into those things, we can begin to live the kind of life that he purposed for us to live, that he purchased for us to live through the blood of his son Jesus, and that he promised to give us through his word and through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. So this whole series is going to be about how do we tap into that and how do we move into that kind of prayer life where we can begin to pray the change that we really want to see that God really wants to accomplish in our life. Now, I was driving to church this morning on Sunday morning. I've got about a five, ten minute little drive to the church, and uh, I always listen uh, to, to the Christian radio, and, and uh, Tony Evans, I don't know if anybody knows who Tony Evans is. Anyway, he's got a kind of worldwide ministry. Tony Evans was preaching this morning. I was listening to Tony Evans, and he was preaching on all things on prayer. And I thought, Randy, how in the world does he always preach my sermons? He just does that like over and over again. But he was preaching on prayer. And he made a couple things about prayer that I thought were insightful to what we're going to talk about. So I want to share some of his thoughts this morning uh, that I got about 730 this morning on the drive to church. So he, he was talking about prayer. And he made reference to two people in Scripture. He made reference to Hezekiah in the Old, Old Testament. I don't know if you know who Hezekiah is. He was one of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah came to a point in his life, the Bible says, where God sent the prophet of the Lord to go see Hezekiah. And this is the word the prophet gave him. The word said, the prophet said, uh, set your house in order because you are going to die. That's what he said. And the Bible says, then after the prophet delivered the message, he turned around and he walked out. And by the time the prophet got out into the king's courtyard, not a five-minute journey from his bedroom to the courtyard, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet again. And the word of the Lord comes to the prophet, and he says, go back and tell Hezekiah that I'm going to give him 15 more years to live. 
Now, what you may or may not know if you don't know the story is that there is a transitional point in that story from the time he got the word that says he was going to die to the time that he got the word that says, I want to give you 50 more years of life. The only thing that happened was the Bible says this, when the prophet of God walked out of the room, Hezekiah, the Bible says, turned his face toward the wall and he prayed. And he cried out to the Lord. And God heard his prayer. And Tony Evans made the statement this morning. He says, isn't it interesting to think about the fact that Hezekiah's prayer changed the action and reaction of God to his life? Hezekiah's prayer changed God's action and reaction to his life. And then if you dial back and go back toward the book of Exodus, you read a story about a guy by the name of Moses. And the Bible says God came to Moses one day, and he said, I'm going to destroy the nation of Israel because they're just rebellious, and I'm going to give you a whole new people to lead. And the Bible says this to Moses, that he prayed and interceded for the nation of Israel, and the Bible says God changed his mind. King James says God repented. He changed his mind. And Tony Evans said, isn't it interesting that, that Hezekiah's prayer changed the action and reaction of God toward his life? And isn't it interesting that Moses' prayer actually changed the mind of God? Now, God didn't change. His character and integrity never changes. He is who he is from beginning to end. But prayer changes the action and reaction and even the mind of God toward the hearts and lives of people. So if prayer is that powerful, I need to learn how to pray. <laughs> if prayer is that powerful, I need to learn how to pray that kind of prayer. And what's exciting, and I love this about Scripture, what's exciting was neither one of those prayers were five-hour prayers or even uh, an hour and 45-minute prayers. They were probably like 30-second prayers. <laughs> how many in this room can pray a 30-second prayer? <laughs> Whew, I'm game. Wave your little white flag at me there. Lord, we can do that. Give me 30 seconds. I can do that. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for hours. I'm just saying when you begin to really look at Scripture, you recognize that there is a heart to prayer that moves the heart of God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how do we tap into that kind of prayer life and how do we begin to pray the kind of prayers that change the circumstances and situations of our lives. So look at that first point on your outline. And let me just give you a real simple definition of what are Christmas prayers. What are Christmas prayers? So Christmas prayers are prayers that are scripted from the story of Christmas. So literally the scripture becomes the script of our prayers. And so the Lord said, Keith, I want you to look at the story of Christmas, and from the story of Christmas, I just want you to pull out some scripts for prayer. I want you to look at the principles and the power of God through the story of Christmas, because when you think about the Christmas story, you think about the virgin birth, you think about the angelic visitations, you think about the mighty hosts, you think about the miracles and the impossibilities that happen just to create the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It is one of the most astounding events that ever took place on planet Earth, and it is an amazing event that we get to be a part of because we are followers and believers of Jesus Christ. And in that story, we're going to pull out the scripts of our prayers. We're going to pull some truths from Scripture and allow the Scripture to be the script that we begin to pray over our lives. Amen? So look with me in Luke chapter 2. Everybody with me today? Y'all still good? You want to wave your little white flag one more time? Y'all good? Here we go. Snowflakes all in the air. Amen. Frozen's got nothing on us. 
first service, Stephen said something about they went took their kids to Frozen. I was out in the foyer, and when I come walking in, I asked Samantha, I said, did he say we were singing songs from Frozen today? I'm glad we didn't, praise God. Here we go. Luke chapter 2. It says, at, the time the Rome, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken, census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral town to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. And look at verse 21. It says, And eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. He was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. So look at that first point or that next point on your outline. So Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers. They are prophetic prayers. They named him Jesus, the Bible says, the name given by the angel. And literally I want you to see this. Jesus' name was a prophetic declaration of who he was and of what he was going to do. They named him Jesus. And I want to challenge you with a thought this morning because one of the things as I began to study this and think about it, I began to recognize that when we really begin to pray prophetic prayers, and when I, when I say prophetic prayers, I mean prayers that, number one, come into agreement with God, that tap into the purpose, the purchase, possession, and the promises of God so that we begin to decree with God what God decrees over our lives. That's prophetic prayer. Literally, the scripture becomes the script of our prayer. When we pray the word, we are praying prophetic prayers. And the Bible says that they named Jesus, they named him Jesus, the name given to them by the angel before he was ever born. And this is awesome because one of the things that happens, one of the greatest challenges that happens in our prayer life, especially if we're praying for people, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you got some people you want to pray for, and I want to challenge you to do that on your little prayer uh, card right here. I want to challenge you to maybe right there in the center to write down a couple names or a couple things that you're going to pray and ask God for through this Christmas season. And as you begin to write down some names, maybe you've got a name of an individual on there, and here's the challenge. One of the greatest challenges of prayer is that when we pray for people that aren't serving God, are living right, we have a tendency to rehearse their activity before God. You ever go to God and tell God how bad they are, <laughs> how messed up they are, how screwed up they are, how they're screwing everybody else up? God, it was Thanksgiving. They showed up. They ruined the whole Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody left mad. It was horrible. When are they ever going to get their act together? When are they going to do what they're supposed to do? We can't even have one dinner without somebody showing out. Lord, why don't they just show up and do what they're supposed to do? God, this is so horrible. And do you know what he did? And do you know what he said? And do you know what they did? And do you know what they said? And Lord, they're just out there and they're just so bad and they're so dark and they're so ugly and they're so this and they're so that. And if we're not careful, we'll pray activity. But prophetic prayers don't pray activity. Prophetic prayers pray identity. Prophetic prayers decree and declare who God says they are. And that's a powerful shift because it's real easy to get in a place of prayer and begin to rehearse the activity of the people you're praying for instead of declare the identity that God has placed over them. 
And it really is as simple as if, if you're praying for somebody that's sick, don't tell God how sick they are. He knows how sick they are. Don't tell God how sick they are. Why don't you put a name on them? Why don't you name them healed? Why don't you name them redeemed? Why don't you name them recovered? Why don't you decree and declare that they are who God says they are instead of rehearsing who they are currently in their current activity before God? Because what you're going to find out is if you spend all your prayer time telling God how bad they are, uh, you're going to really dread prayer. Because <laughs> that kind of prayer is not any fun. It will exhaust you, and it will drain you, and it will frustrate you, and it will discourage you. So what happened with Jesus? I want you to think about this, because we read the Christmas story, and we read the Bible, and we get all these things that, that we, we just don't grab hold of the simplicity of some things. So when Mary and Joseph named Jesus Jesus, who would be the Savior of the world, let me just read Matthew's account of what happened. Matthew 1, 18 through 25 says, and this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel commanded and took Mary to be his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Let me first of all say, if somebody tells you your virgin wife is now pregnant, she's pregnant by God, it would take an angelic visitation to convince me too. How about you? Amen? So he gets that. Praise the Lord. And then the, Lord, the angel tells him that she is going to give birth to a son and he is going to save his people from their sins. He's going to be the Savior of the world. The Messiah, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior of all humanity is about to be born. And he's going to be born through your wife, the Virgin Mary, and he's going to save the world from their sins. So I want you to name him Jesus because he's going to save the world from their sins. Now, when Jesus was born... There was no physical activity to declare that he was the Savior of the world. I mean, when he was a baby wrapped in, uh, wrapped in uh, strips of cloth, lying in a manger, there was nothing physically to declare that he was going to do what God said he was going to do. And let's be honest, we've all had encounters. You ever had an encounter with God? Anybody ever had an encounter with the Lord? That's awesome. You know what's awesome about encounters with God? They're, they're, they'll change your life. They'll mark you. But you know what's also real about encounters with God? About a week later and a month later, you start asking yourself, did that really happen? Was that really real? Is this going to last? <laughs> and so I'm thinking about the time baby Jesus is born, there's no room in the inn. The Savior of the world is now laid in a manger, a feeding trough, Wrapped in, wrapped in swaddling clothes, which means strips of cloth, which means they were so poor they couldn't buy a blanket. Here is Jesus, the Savior of the world, and I can imagine Joseph thinking, I'm going to name him Jesus because he's going to save the world from their sins, and we can't even get a room in the inn, and we can't afford a blanket to wrap him in. 
And there's nothing spectacular really about this baby. I mean, think about it. The only thing Jesus was probably doing at that time was making a dirty diaper. If they'd have had diapers, which I wish, I bet they wish they would have, right? But when they named him Jesus, it was a prophetic declaration that said, what God said about you is going to happen even though I can't see it. And how many of you know, for 30 years, there was no inkling. For 30 years, he never healed anybody. For 30 years, he never preached a sermon. For 30 years, he never raised a dead person. For 30 years, he never did anything supernatural. He was just Jesus, Joseph, the carpenter's son. He was building tables, cutting wood, wiping sawdust out of his hair for 30 years. And for 30 years, they kept saying, that's Jesus, Savior of the world. That's Jesus, the Savior of the world. That's Jesus, the Savior of the world. And everybody else is looking at him and saying, that's Jesus, the carpenter. That's Jesus, the ordinary guy. That's Jesus. Yeah, he's, you know, he's kind of neat, but that's just Jesus. But what they were doing is God gave them a name, and they prophetically had to name him that name. They literally called him out. Now, we know he was who he was because that's who God said he was. But the power of prophetic prayer is this. When you write down the names of people that you're praying for, you also need to write them a new name. What does God say about them? That's powerful. What does God say about this person? What does God say about them? I know what their activity says, but I'm not going to pray their activity. I'm going to pray their identity. Their activity is not good, but their identity comes from God. How many know they were creating the image and likeness of God, and there is a purpose and a plan for every person on planet Earth. Whether you accept it or whether you reject it, it's still there. And there is something powerful about prophetic prayer. So Christmas prayers begin to name people. We begin to name them healed, and we begin to name them delivered, and we begin to name them set free. We begin to name them that they're adopted and they're accepted, that they're obedient, that they're submissive, that they're righteous, that they're holy, that they're pure, that they're successful, that there's favor and grace and anointing on their lives. We begin to decree and declare that they are who God says they are, even when we can't see it. Because I promise you, when they were holding that baby in the manger, They never really saw what all was going to come, but they called him Jesus. And we've got to move to a place of prophetic prayer that begins to call people out according to who God says they are, not what the world says they are. Amen? We live in a world of labels, and it'll take you about that long to get a label. (laughs) People will label you, you're lazy, you're dumb, right? You're stupid, you're ugly. You're the good kid, you're not the good kid. You're an overachiever, you're the underachiever. You're accident prone, you're gifted, oh, you're talented, oh, you're awesome. And labels from the world are wonderful if you get some good labels. (laughs) But very few get the good ones. And this is what I found out from the labels of the world. The labels of the world always come with a catch. Because when the world labels you something, they begin to expect something from you that's going to cost you probably something you don't want to pay. 
But when God labels you, when God names you, and he calls you blessed, and he calls you healed, and he calls you delivered, and he calls you redeemed, and he calls you set free, the Bible says the blessing of God maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. God's blessing and favor and anointing is pure and holy that empowers and enables us to be who he's called us to be. Amen? Look at that next point. So Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers. They call those things that do not exist as though they did. They create your desired future. This is huge. They call those things that do not exist as though they did. They create your desired future. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, in the presence of him whom he believed, which was God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. When you think about the story of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham was Abram before he was Abraham. And God called him Abraham, the father of many nations. And when he called him the father of many nations, you know how many kids he had? None. And then God takes him out and shows him the stars in the sky and says, if you can number the stars in the sky, that's how many descendants you can have. And then he shows him the sands on the seashore and he says, if you can number the sand on the seashore, that's how many kids you're going to have. And then he says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and through you all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Speaking prophetically of Jesus, the seed of Abraham that would come that would release the blessing of God on all who would believe. And so what does God do? God shows up on the scene. And God calls the fatherless man the father of many nations. He calls those things that do not exist as though they do. And let me tell you what faith doesn't do. Faith doesn't deny what is. Faith just declares what God says is greater. There is a greater reality than today. <laughs> There's a greater reality than what I can see and what I can touch and what I can taste and what I can feel. There's a greater reality called the realm of faith where the Spirit of God and the power of God works to bring into existence those things that He has purposed and planned in our lives. And so through prophetic prayer, we begin to call into existence those things that are not as though they were. So when I feel like I'm rejected, I declare, Lord, I thank you that I'm accepted and I'm beloved. When I feel like I don't have a place, I say, God, I thank you that I'm adopted in the family of God and I have, I have a special place in your family. All of a sudden, I begin to declare what is not as though it was. I don't deny the reality. I just begin to prophesy the future and the hope that I want to have. So many people pray the problems. We just pray the problems, right? We'll go to God and we'll tell him how bad it is. We'll tell him how sick we are. We'll tell him how discouraged we are. We'll tell him how overwhelmed we are. We'll tell him how nobody's treating us right and everybody's doing us wrong. Now, I know none of y'all probably pray that way, but you probably know somebody that does because y'all looking really holy this morning. And the challenge, the problem with praying the problem <laughs> is that what you pray about just gets bigger. And you walk away from your prayer time discouraged and disheartened because you spent the last 20 minutes telling God how bad your life is. And who wouldn't be discouraged and depressed by getting done with that, right? So prophetic prayers come into agreement with God, and we begin to call into existence those things that are not as though they were. When God looked at the darkness, he said, let there be light. He saw darkness, he spoke light. 
That's what prophetic prayers do. We see reality, and then we speak into existence those things that we know desire, God desires to do in the hearts and lives of people, including our heart and our lives. Let me give you two other scriptures real quick. Psalms 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. And John 15 verse 7 says, Jesus speaking, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Here's what's awesome. I think sometimes we forget that God actually wants to give us the desires of our heart. He really does want to fulfill your heart's desire. Now, we're not talking about evil desires, and we're not talking about wicked desires. Y'all with me this morning? Everybody understand? Y'all kind of nod your head. Somebody wave a snowflake at me. Let me know y'all are still in the room. Everybody's still here. All right, so we're not talking about wicked desires, evil desires. How many know it's a good desire? It's a good thing for you desire to provide for your family. It's a good thing for you desire for the sick to be healed, whether it's your healing or whether it's somebody else's healing. It's a good thing for you desire for other people to come to know Christ and to minister to them and to help them find freedom and liberty that only comes through Jesus. It's a good thing that people, right, that people are blessed, that people are healed, that people are delivered, that people are set free. Those are all good desires. And God wants to give you the desires of your heart. So when we begin to call in existence those things that are not as though they were, what we're actually doing is we get an opportunity to labor with God to create the future and the hope that we desire for our lives. And that's an awesome thing. Uh, years ago, a good friend of mine, uh, Kelly's and mine and Kelly's, uh, she was in need of a car, and she was praying, and she'd been praying for a car and praying for a car, and she finally said one day she was in prayer, and the Lord said, well, what kind of car do you want? Now, she was 100% pure girl, so she didn't know anything different between Chevy and Ford and all that stuff. So this was her request. She said, God, I want a blue car with four doors that will not break down. A couple of weeks later, guess what she ended up getting? A blue car with four doors, and she drove the wheels off that thing. I mean, it lasted her forever and ever and ever and ever. And she came up to Kelly and I after that was over. She said, you know what I learned? She said, I learned that God really does want to give me the desires of my heart. I needed a car. There was no doubt about it. She needed a car, she said. But God didn't want to just give me a car. God wanted me to give me the car that I wanted. I want to ask you a question today. What's your heart's desire? Can you write it down? Can you verbalize it? Because I, I'm convinced that we don't slow down long enough to really even answer that question. We have kind of generic answers, you know. We have real spirit. I just want the whole world to get saved and know Jesus. That's wonderful. What's your heart's desire? And that comes into a lot of different facets. What's your heart's desire personally? What's your heart's desire spiritually? What's your heart's desire relationally? What's your heart's desire financially? Because I would challenge you over the next few weeks to begin to really write down, what is my heart's desire? Because God said, if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me my heart's desire. And if his word abides in me and I abide in him, I can ask him whatever I desire, and he's going to give me my heart's desire. And so I've got to begin to pray through prophetic prayer, I've got to begin to call into existence those things that do not yet exist. So if I'm broke, I've got to declare I'm blessed. If I'm sick, I've got to declare I'm well. If I'm weak, I've got to declare I'm strong. I've got to begin to pray and declare prophetically the thing that I desire to see. Stop praying what you have and start praying what your heart 
desires to happen. Because, let me just say this, I'm going to move on. I think so many times we settle for God to sustain us when God really wants to multiply us with more than we could ever imagine. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about in every aspect of our lives. I think many times we settle for just enough when we serve the God of more than enough. But because we don't dare to ask for and prophetically declare those things that are not as though they were, we stay stuck where we're at. Last point, let's look at it together. Everybody still with me? Y'all wave your little snowflakes at me. Everybody good? Y'all are really good. Nobody's falling asleep right now. If your neighbor's falling asleep, give them a good elbow. Tell them Jesus loves them. They need to wake up. Amen? Last point, here it is. Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers. They build up, they encourage, and they comfort. They give life and not death. Prophetic prayers build up, encourage, and comfort. They give life and not death. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. It says, but he who prophesies speaks edification, which means to build up, exhortion, which means to encourage, and comfort, which means to comfort or console, to come alongside someone to all men. So I love 1 Corinthians 14 because if you read the Old Testament, it seems like all the prophets in the Old Testament pronounce doom and gloom. A lot of judgment, a lot of condemnation, and a lot of prophetic decrees that seem like everybody was in trouble and everybody's going to hell. But when you move into the New Testament, all of a sudden, we get a new definition or a New Testament revelation of prophecy. He who prophesies builds up, encourages, and comforts. Prophetic words ought to build up, ought to encourage, and they ought to comfort. And guess what? Prophetic prayers should do the same. When you and I begin to pray prophetically, when we begin to call out the identity, not the activity, when we begin to call into existence those things that do not exist instead of rehearsing what we currently have, we begin to pray prophetically, and guess what will happen? Prophetic prayers give life. They give life. They build up, they encourage, and they comfort. They give life to the people that we're praying over. So many people have prayed death. Have you ever heard people pray for people? I cringe sometimes, and sometimes I think, I hope they never pray for me. I mean, I've heard some people pray some crazy prayers over people, and I'm like, Lord, God, have mercy. And, and, and I've learned, Jesus summed it up really simple. He said, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. So if Jesus said we ought to bless those who curse us, then how should we pray for those who bless us? We ought to bless them too. <laughs> prophetic prayers bring life, not death. And this is how you'll know. This, this is how you know you're praying prophetic prayers. If you walk away from your prayer time discouraged and disheartened, you're not praying prophetic prayers. <laughs> You probably gave God a wish list, and God, I wish this would get better, and I wish this would change, and I wish they'd do better, and I wish they would change, and I wish this would happen, and I wish I could get this, and I wish that would happen, and I have a lot of wishes, God, and, and I'm going to rehearse all the activity and all the bad things that are going on. I'm going to tell you how bad my problems are. And if you do that, you're going to walk away from prayer discouraged and disheartened almost every time. But when you learn how to pray prophetic prayers and you begin to identify, call out the identity 
and call into existence those things that do not exist as though they do. You know what will happen? That kind of prayer will give life to you. And I know that I've been in a time of prophetic prayer. Whenever I walk out of that time of prophetic prayer, and I'm fired up. <laughs> I am fired up, and I'm excited, and I'm ready. I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol because I know I just changed something. Right, I've just changed something. I mean, for me, my prayer time, I have my quiet time in our dining room table in our little kitchen there. And, and man, I just I get going, I walk, I pray like I preach. You know, so I'm walking around. we got a little island. I'm walking around that. And I'm just telling you, heaven comes to earth in that little kitchen. Heaven comes to earth. And things are changed, transformed, metamorphosized by the power of God. Why? Because when I am in a place of real prayer and intercession, it brings life to everything that I touch. And I walk out of there, and I'm not discouraged. I am encouraged, and I am excited, and I am anticipating what God is doing. Let me give you one thought. I was talking with a gentleman in our church between services, and we were talking about how easy it is to rehearse the activity instead of declare the identity. And, and, and here's the challenge. When you're praying for people, especially they don't know God, if you just rehearse the activity of what they're doing wrong and what they're doing wrong and what they're doing wrong and what they're doing wrong, it actually builds a wall between you and them. Because you spend, let's just say you pray for them for 30 minutes. You just spent 30 minutes telling God how weak and evil they are. And then when you see them, guess what you feel toward that person? You feel frustration. You feel discouragement. You might even feel anger. It's amazing to me how many people will pray for people and then be angry at that person. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but that ain't prayer. Because <laughs> when I really pray for people, I don't walk away mad at them. I walk away compassionate toward them. And when I see them, instead of being frustrated by their activity, I'm encouraged because I now see a new identity. And not only does it change how I pray, but now it changes how I interact with that person. See, if you're cursing people in prayer, you're going to have a hard time having a real relationship with them. <laughs> but if you start blessing people in prayer, it is so awesome what happens when you start blessing people and you start prophesying life and blessing and favor. I mean, some of the people that have hurt me the deepest, I have prayed the most blessing over. And every time I think about them, I say, Lord, just bless them. And that may be all I can say, Lord, just bless them, bless them, bless the works of their hands, bless the fruits that they have, bless them, God, bless them with eyes to see, bless them with ears to hear, bless them with hearts that respond to you, bless them, God, draw them to you, draw them to you, draw them to you. And when I see that person that's wounded me, Instead of pushing back, I want to pull near because that's what prophetic prayer does. It builds up, it encourages, and it comforts your heart and the heart of other people. Let's just bow our heads together today. If you're here this morning, maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I came in here today, and I, I, don't, I don't really understand anything you talked about. <laughs> I'm not a Christian. 
I've never been saved. Somebody invited me or I'm here because whatever reason, I just felt like I needed to be here today, but I'm here today. And you're talking about all this prophetic prayer and praying the word and the scriptures being the script for our prayers. And I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but this is what I do know. I do know that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may not have related to the principles of prayer, but you did relate to something. And this is what you related to. You related to the reality that you know without a shadow of a doubt. You need God. So you're here today and you know that. You know in your heart of hearts you need God. Because that's the power of the Word of God. God's Word is so powerful that you can preach on anything. And if you don't know Christ, somehow in the midst of that message, God calls people unto Himself. And if you're here this morning and you say, I don't know Christ, but today I want to. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior today. I want to begin today to follow Him. I realize I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And I want to ask Him to save me today. If that's you, I want want to ask you to do something just very simple and powerful, and I say it every Sunday. It's simple because you do it every day. It's powerful because it's an act of faith. This is what I want you to do. If you're here today and you want to accept Christ, just stand to your feet right now. Just stand up all over this building right now. You're here today and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith that says today, today I want to pray. Today I want to accept Christ. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. This is your moment. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. This is just between you and God, but it's an act of faith. And this is your moment because God's calling you and He's saying, come to me, come unto me. And you know right now in your heart of hearts that more than you need the next breath you're going to breathe, you need to get right with God. And if you want to do that right now, I'd love to pray with you. If you would just stand to your feet, we're about to pray. The second thing I want to do this morning before we close is I want to challenge every one of you that are here today to take home this little snowflake. And in the center of that snowflake, I want you, I want to challenge you just to write down a couple things. Write down your heart's desire. Write down the name of a person that you're praying for. And maybe even write down just a specific need in your life or in your family. And then I want to challenge you this week out on these little edges of the snowflake just to begin to write a new name. What does God say about that person you're praying for? What does God say about that heart's desire? What does God say about that need in your life? Begin to write a new name and begin to call forth those things that do not exist as though they do. And I want you to keep this little prayer card in your Bible or somewhere near you. I want you to bring it back with you next Sunday. Because every week we're going to look at another element of prayer. We're going to put another tool in your toolbox, so to speak, to help you pray the kind of prayers that change the world that we're living in. So, Father, today I thank you for the power of prayer. I thank you that we're not just spectators, we are participators. We're in the game. 
And God, our prayers matter. And Lord, I thank you today that through the power of your word that the scripture can become the script and that we can begin to call out and call up the things that you have purposed, purchased, and promised for our lives. We declare today that we will not settle. But Lord, we will be the kind of people that delight ourselves in the Lord and you will give us our heart's desire. We give you glory and honor today. In Jesus' name, amen.